You're listening to the What The Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine to five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast, episode 41. We have a great interview lined up for you today. I am so excited to be sharing this conversation. It's between me and my friend Ellen Yin, and she is an incredible entrepreneur, just like such a smart, savvy chick in the digital space. And she also, I mean, talk about women supporting women. She is the inspiration and encouragement behind me sharing my income report in a previous episode. And we're going to keep rolling with those. I'm going to start doing them quarterly because the feedback from it was just so, so positive. And Ellen has been doing this business finance transparency thing for a while now. She started doing them in 2019, which is incredible. And Ellen just drops a ton of knowledge in this episode. I have learned so much from her after getting to know her over the last year, year and a half. And I know you're going to learn some great tidbits and mindset shifts in this conversation as well. Before we dive into the convo, if you could take a second to subscribe to the podcast through whatever platform it is that you are listening through, that would be amazing. And then I will get all queued up in your podcast queue, ready to go each week because we're publishing these weekly and we're keeping it consistent, people. We have lots of fun episodes coming up. I have been really loving all of the requests that are coming in. I think typically the requests that I'm getting are more kind of business focused, which is great. I mean, the hiring episode that I just did, that was a request from a listener. The one on imposter syndrome was a request as well. And that, I mean, just spans business, life, I mean, all the things. So please keep them coming. I have been loving hearing your requests and it just gets me like really excited to create more episodes and conversations around those topics because I know that, you know, hopefully it'll be really helpful for you since it's something that you are requesting. So with that, let's get into this episode and let me introduce you to my friend, Ellen. Ellen Yin is the founder of Cubicle to CEO, an online membership helping coaches and service providers make their first 10K month. The name reflects her own journey of profitably bootstrapping her business from a $300 project to seven figures in revenue in just three years as a first-generation Asian-American entrepreneur. Through her online marketing programs and services, Ellen has mentored over 10,000 entrepreneurs. She's been featured in Forbes, Yahoo Finance, Her Money, and more. Ellen is also the host of the award-winning Cubicle to CEO podcast, With that, Ellen, thank you so much for joining me. I am so pumped for our conversation today. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us on the What the Fab podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today. Elise, I've been looking forward to this for so long. I can't wait. Yay. Well, a little context on how you and I met. So last year, we were in a mastermind group together. And it was kind of I had never been in a mastermind before. And it was sort of perfect timing for me because the first part of the year was like still weird pandemic timing. We were at home a lot more. And it was like we were doing like weekly, you know, coaching calls and catch ups. And then now that the mastermind is over, you and I still are connecting monthly. And I'm just so happy that I was able to to meet you and connect with you. And I've learned so much from you over the last year. 
Well, all those feelings are mutual. (laughs) I I feel the exact same way. And Elise and I just immediately connected. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, we have uh, maybe more similar backgrounds growing up, you know, culturally too. And so I think that I really found someone that I just immediately resonated with. And we have a lot of the same viewpoints on um, you know, being advocates for other women in business, financial transparency, we bonded over things like that. So I'm just, I'm just so um, grateful for your friendship, Elise, and and thrilled that we are still connecting every single month and learning together. Yay, me too. I have a bunch of you know business questions I want to dive into, but first, I would love if you could share a little bit more background on yourself and your journey. And I mean, like, take it way back. Like, I know you were born in China, your family immigrated to the US. And then later on in life, you went from literally that cubicle to CEO. (laughs) Yeah, that's where the name was inspired from. Okay, so if we go way back, oh my gosh. Well, as Elise said, I immigrated to the US with my family when I was three. I grew up in Oregon in a small college town. Corvallis, if any of you have ever passed through. And I didn't really see myself as an entrepreneur growing up. In fact, I never really thought owning a business was a possibility for me. So when I was going to college, I I thought I was going to be in journalism. That's the career I had envisioned for myself because I always loved writing from a very young age. And I also really love, you know, telling stories and interviewing people. So broadcast journalism is actually what I originally majored in when I was at USC down in LA. But I actually ended up leaving and transferring back home to Oregon State after my freshman year there because I did the math and I realized I was going to graduate with over six figures in debt. And that was just really scary for me. And I and I didn't think that's how I wanted to, you know, start my future after graduating school. So I came home to Oregon State. They didn't really have a robust journalism program here. So I actually ended up doing a complete 180 and uh, switched my degree to kinesiology, or at the time it was called exercise sports science. So basically went from like a liberal arts major to a science-based major, (laughs) which was so different and completely not at all what I had expected. But it was because at that time, in that moment in time, um, I had really gotten into uh, my own fitness journey and was, you know, I fall in love with the gym, with weightlifting. So I was really interested in the subject matter. So I thought, you know, why not? If I don't know what I'm doing anyways, might as well study something I'm curious about. So I ended up graduating in 2016 with that degree. Uh, I had no intention of actually using it professionally, which I know retroactively when you think about it makes no sense. But (laughs) at the time I was okay with it. Um, But I actually ended up landing my first full-time job in marketing while I was still a senior in college. And I continued with that business. And so everything I've done post-graduation has always been in marketing. And that's how I ended up um, eventually at my first corporate job where I was in in a marketing position for a healthcare company in 2017. And within 10 months of being there, at least, I knew this was not for me. I knew the cubicle life wasn't for me. I knew the corporate marketing life wasn't for me. And so... I remember this clear as day. It was a couple days before Christmas in 2017, and I quit my job. I didn't have a backup plan. I was 23 at the time, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to take my time um, finding the right role for me, whatever that is. In my head, that still wasn't entrepreneurship. I honestly didn't even consider it. But what happened is during that month of job searching, uh, that following month in January of 2018, 
I actually ended up connecting with a colleague of mine who I had worked with at the company that I just left. And he and his wife owned these local coffee stands and were wanting to you know, get launched into the social media marketing world with their business. And they heard that, you know, I was skilled at this. So they thought, hey, you know, would you be interested in helping us out with getting our Instagram account set up and growing that? And I thought, why not? It sounds like a fun project while I'm job searching. And so they became my very first freelance marketing client. It was a $300 project, definitely not enough to pay the bills, but you know, it opened my mind to this completely different path that I never had considered. And so I just decided to run with it. I actually stopped applying for jobs altogether. And within that first year, I had scaled up that marketing agency to six figures. And, you know, fast forward now, what is that? This is this is my fifth year in business. So I'm like about four, four years and some months into it, um, going into my fifth year. And I am I'm so grateful that I took that leap of faith when I didn't see the whole path laid out for me yet but these days you know I'm um, our company is primarily a marketing education and digital media company for female entrepreneurs so it's been a wild path but that's my that's my 5 minute version <laughs> of the story I love it and I love the story of like how you just this kind of like naturally unfolded. I would love to know how have you learned everything that you know about running a business because you're you're really young. You're like in your late 20s, right? Yeah, 27. <laughs> okay, Ellen, like you run your business like an experienced like 45 year old with like 20 years of experience under their belt, like the way that you sell your funnels, webinars, your Facebook ads, your membership program. It's just so impressive. So how have you been able to like scale up and especially with just like your knowledge of how to do these things so quickly? Thank you so much. That, that means a lot, Lee, seriously. Um, I, I mean, I'm still learning all the time. I think one of the biggest strengths that I've really captured is my endless curiosity. So I always, always look at everything through the lens of, okay, what's possible? What can I learn from this? How can I figure this out? And I think the key to being successful in entrepreneurship is to be willing to start before you're ready. That is so, so important. If you're always waiting for every single step to be laid out, entrepreneurship is not the right path for that, right? Entrepreneurship, it's literally in the word itself. The the word comes from, you know, a French word meaning I think it's like to undertake risk or something. So risk is inherent in this path that we take and so you have to be willing to go headfirst into a problem that you may not know how to solve or what the outcome will be, but being willing to collect data. I look at everything as an opportunity to collect data, recalibrate, and then move forward. And so that's really my mindset as I've approached entrepreneurship. And another key factor is I think from the very beginning, literally, I mean, my my very first month in business, I immediately started investing the money that I made from that first $300, $300 client that I told you about uh, back into my business. So I think mentorship has played such a key role in my growth and just constantly reinvesting in expanding my skill set and learning from different mentors and putting myself in the rooms where the conversations are happening, where the people who are taking those risks and having that success, I want to be around those people, which, you know, isn't is one of the reasons that you and I met in that mastermind last year. But that's just one of many examples of ways that I've continually invested in my business since the very beginning, even when I didn't have, you know, like a thousand dollars to my business name. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I know that you have kind of a unique approach to your your marketing and kind of how you teach your students as well. Um, I've seen your your cute shirts with like the marketing minimalist on it. So can you tell us a little bit more about what makes your approach specifically to social media marketing different from other quote gurus online? Yeah, of course. Well, first off, I'm like so, so (laughs) anti-guru in terms of that. I just like don't resonate with that term. You know, I feel like um, the marketing minimalist uh, like term actually kind of was a joke because basically, you know, Marie Kondo, you know, blew up and she's she's the minimalist queen, right, of home organizing. And I, I always joked, I was like, man, if Marie Kondo was a marketer, I would totally be her because like, what doesn't bring you joy, we got a ditch in marketing. And so that that's kind of the joke. But basically, my approach to marketing is this. There's so many potential things that you could do to grow your business, to promote your business, but you have to be so clear on the customer path from when they first enter your world as a stranger to when they actually buy something from you. And I think that when you are just starting out or if you are a service provider, coach, or freelancer um, in specific who's wanting to grow through a client-based business, so through selling a one-on-one service, it is so important to simplify as much as possible. So you need one clear traffic generator. So that's one platform that you are generating new eyeballs and visibility for your business from. You need one clear leads generator. So how do you take traffic and turn it into a captured like piece of data, right? The name and information of someone who's raising their hand and saying, yes, I want to learn more from you. And then how do you then have one clear sales generator, which as a service provider, I think the best uh, sales generator that you could have for turning leads into clients is a discovery call or a sales call, really bar none. Um, And being really, really clear on those three key steps in your marketing funnel, and then just getting so good at those three steps at refining, 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 rather than trying to jump on every new trend is so important. I also think that, you know, this outdated device of you have to post consistently, you have to post every day, you have to grow your audience. I think that advice comes from a good place. But what most people miss, I think, is that those are all long-term marketing strategies for growing your platform and growing your business. But when you're a startup or when you're just at, you know, that first stage of business where you're trying to keep the lights on and and ensure that your business keeps going, cash is oxygen for your business and you cannot dilly-dally wasting time trying to grow your audience before you can make your first sale. I think that growing your audience is a long-term strategy. And in the meantime, what you should really be focusing on is how do I get the fastest traffic to my content and to my business? And sometimes that means not depending on your own audience. Sometimes that means what I call... Uh, using borrowed traffic strategies, meaning how do you get in front of your ideal audience, your existing or your target audience um, who are already pre-congregated for you in other people's existing audiences. And so that's like a key concept that I teach in my free masterclass as well as in my uh, signature 12-month program. But those are just some of the ways that I kind of take a stance against the typical marketing uh, advice that's given out there. 
You guys, I just discovered Newly and had to tell you about it. It's a fashion rental subscription service. So it's basically like Netflix for clothes. I also have a $10 off discount for you. So I'll let you know how to get that in just a sec. So here's how it works. You pick out six pieces of clothing that get shipped right to your home. You wear them for as long as you want. And then when you're done, you send them back in the same packaging it arrived in. There's a return label in there and everything. Super easy. And they have such cute pieces from brands like Anthropology, Ralph Lauren, Badgley Mishka, Free People, just to name a few. And if you fall in love with a piece and you decide you want to keep it, you can buy it at a super discounted rate. Like I'm seeing anywhere from 15 to 70% off the retail price for the pieces that I have at home right now. You also don't have to worry about washing anything or even if you accidentally damage it, you know, you spill some coffee or pop a sequin or two off, Newly will take care of it and you won't be charged. Personally, I am feeling a little bit uninspired with my closet and my clothes right now after the pandemic. So Newly has just been a great, affordable, sustainable option for me to have a bunch of new outfits every month and just get excited about dressing up again. You can pause or cancel Newly at any time. And I also have a referral link for you to get $10 off your first month. Just go to whatthefab.com slash Newly and Newly is spelled N as in Nancy, U-U-L-Y enjoy and let's get back to the episode. I love that. I mean, even just listening to you talk for like 90 seconds, it's like, there's so many good nuggets in there. And I just, there's so many different things for people to kind of pull out and tips. I know that, so you kind of touched on how building your social following is like a long-term marketing strategy. And I know that you actually talk about how it's an advantage to have an, a smaller audience that you can sell to. So can you speak to that a bit more? Like what, what are the advantages for an entrepreneur when they're selling to a smaller audience and how can they still get that consistent cash flow without marketing to the masses or obsessing over growing their following count? I'm so, so glad you asked this question, Lee. So everyone who's listening right now, I want you to just take this leap of faith with me right now. And I want you to forever let go of this idea that your income is determined by your audience size. Okay. Let's say it together. My income is not determined by my audience size. I want you to really believe this message because I'm here to tell you that I have had students in my program with less than 500 followers who have made 10 K months, right? Wow. Less than 500 followers. I have personally in my business sold over $1.5 million in revenue and I don't have a ginormous audience. I mean, yes, my audience has grown to a, you know, a decent sized audience over the last five years, but I made my first few six figures in business with less than 3000 followers. So please, please do not believe that your follower size has any indication on sales. It only affects your sales. If you don't understand those three pieces of your marketing funnel, like I just described and you don't know how to generate traffic other than from your own organic audience. Of course, if you're relying only on your organic audience to see your organic posts, then yes, yes, your, your reach may be limited, but there's so many ways, both paid and non-paid to reach people beyond your existing followers to that you can utilize to expand your visibility, expand your reach. And more importantly, it's not even about always getting in front of more people, but how do you actually 
leverage the eyeballs that you do get in front of? How do you actually position your content in a way that leads someone to this sale? Right. So those are all important things to consider. And as far as what Elise was saying about the advantage of having a small audience, I want you to, instead of seeing a small audience as a disadvantage to you, I want you to actually start thinking of it as a privilege. When you have a small audience, you have the privilege of forming much deeper relationships with each individual in your community, right? You actually have the space and the freedom to respond to every DM, to reply to your comments, to actually really get to know people beyond a surface level. People who have millions of followers, even if they truly desire to form those connections, there's simply not enough time in the day or enough energy in any one individual to connect on such a mass level. Like it's impossible. Like people I talk to, even with a hundred thousand followers, right? Like Elise, you probably relate to this. They have dozens and dozens and dozens of unread DMs or they're months behind and getting back to people because they just simply, even if they truly sat on their butt every single day from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. responding, (laughs) they probably still couldn't get through all of those conversations. And so I want you to really look at having a small audience as a privilege and savor this season of your life in business. And remember that this does not determine your income in any way. And if you feel like it does, then you just haven't been exposed to other ways of how to grow your income outside of you know, posting directly to Instagram and relying on the algorithm to basically monitor and determine your business. I was going to say like control your life. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Let go of the algorithm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. That is such a great mindset shift and tip there. Really, really good stuff. I want to talk about financial transparency because you publicly shared your business finances through your quarterly income reports. You publish them on your podcast. And as you know, you really inspired and encouraged me to start doing the same. So earlier this year, I did a whole 2021 income report episode where I shared the black and white hard numbers of my revenue. I broke down the different streams where I was trying to grow for this coming year, my expenses. Um, For listeners, if you haven't heard that one yet, it's episode 34. And it has been my most listened to episode. And I could just tell by like the amount of shares and responses and DMs that it got, that it was like really resonating with people. It has absolutely like grown my podcast subscribers because ever since I published it, I get more listens and downloads. Like it's just been really cool to see the reactions from it. So I want to thank you, first of all, for encouraging me to start doing that because I was a little bit nervous. And I want to ask you, why do you believe that there should be more financial transparency among women in business, especially women of color? And kind of a two-part question, how do you think that this transparency has helped small business owners? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I was so proud of you and so thrilled when I saw your episode show up in my podcast app. I clicked so fast. Please. I was like, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You are trailblazing the way for your industry, right? For bloggers and people like you to open up these important conversations. And to Elisa's point, I started sharing income reports actually, because I was inspired by another woman who was doing the same. And I think it's, that really shows a ripple effect that one brave action can have on a community because more people start feeling, uh, you know, 
safe to share for, for lack of a better word. Right. Because it is a scary thing. I don't discount that. And, you know, I've had a lot of practice, like I've been sharing my income report since 2019. So 2022 is actually my fourth year of, of practicing this. And if you ever want to catch up and see how, how, how much has changed in my business since that very first income report, um, I share quarterly income reports on the podcast. So if you search cubicle, to CEO, you can catch up on those past episodes, but why I think it's so important, why I'm such a passionate advocate for this is because as women, if you keep yourself in the dark about money, right? You don't know what you don't know. And you're giving up your financial power to, to systems and to society that has historically oppressed women and people of color. And so I think it is so important to step up, pull up a seat where the conversations are happening and be willing to have those transparent conversations. Because the truth is when, when I listened to other people's income reports, before I started sharing my own, I realized so many things that I, I had never even thought to ask, right? There were questions I didn't know to ask. There were so many financial blind spots that it showed me like, oh, I didn't even know that you could write that off as an expense or, oh, I didn't know there were people in my industry who were charging this much. Oh, I didn't know that you could, you know, I mean, fill in the blank a million times. There were so many things that just blew my mind open. And that's what I hope to do in sharing my income reports is that someone can listen to my income report. And even if we have different businesses, or even if they're in a different stage of their business, that they can they can see how I think about numbers and they can take that and apply it to their own business and understand, okay, these are the metrics that I should be tracking. These are the types of questions I should be asking. These are perhaps the topics that I may need to dig into more and educate myself on because raising your financial IQ, as much as I wish that as a society, especially here in the States growing up that our systems would better support our education around that. They're just simply, that's just simply isn't the case, right? So you really do have to take an active role in raising your own financial IQ. And it's so important that you start as early as possible. Yes. And such a good point that like the, the system in society and patriarchy that we live in is not designed to support and uplift. I mean, equal payday just happened. And I saw a post from the skim and it was like, congratulations, it's equal payday. If you've worked every day this year, you have finally caught up to the salary of a man and what he made last year. And it was just like, fuck, like, <laughs> that's, right. I mean, it's correct. Like we don't have equal pay yet. Like that is just insane. So I just love and appreciate that you know, you are taking those steps to share that kind of information, because like you say, there are so many things that we might not think to look at with our numbers or um, dig into or questions to ask. And also everyone has their own personal money stories from childhood, from their own experiences. And whether you're a business owner or not, that affects you and your relationship with money. And I've heard it from other women with successful businesses. Like I'm afraid to look at my finances. Like I know I'm in the green. I know I'm net positive and like, that's all I need to know. And the business is doing well, but I'm afraid to look at my expenses and what I spent, but that data and knowledge is powerful and it can help you drive smart business decisions in the future. A hundred percent. So if fear is what keeps you back from getting in the game, I just need to tell you, you know, right now that numbers and 
what they mean to you are entirely, like Elise said, driven from your own stories. The numbers by themselves don't actually mean anything. And when I say numbers, I mean, I mean, dollars and cents. I also mean profit margin percentages, whatever numbers you're afraid of looking at, they are actually completely, uh, what is it? Unbiased, right? Like by themselves, they're a neutral thing. It's you who attaches the meaning to those numbers. And so if you have fears around money, I really do think like digging into your money story is absolutely such a transformative journey. It's something I'm still actively working through. Elise knows this. We've talked about it at length together in person at these retreats, right? All of the, all of the money obstacles that I still deal with even so many years now, you know, working on them. And so don't, don't be ashamed if that's, you know, where you're at, but absolutely ignoring your numbers is not going to make anything in your in your business growth journey easier. You, you, you need that data to make more informed decisions. And so, um, just starting small, I think taking that first step of just tracking even the basics, right? Like your, your monthly revenue, your expenses, your profit margins. Also, this is something I shared on another friend of mine's podcast, higher profit margins does not always mean more success. Sometimes I think, especially in the online industry, we also attach a lot of meaning to high profit margins. And we think if I have higher profit margins, it makes me a better entrepreneur. The truth is that in many ways, profit margins are determined by your priorities, right? So like the example that I gave, uh, is if you're trying to build a a unicorn, right? Like if you're trying to build the next, like Uber, Airbnb, Microsoft, Google, whatever, it's almost impossible to do that. If high profit margins are your one key priority, because the truth is those businesses burn cash and you have to reinvest almost everything back into the business to grow to that level. And so, yeah, you're going to be writing at pretty small, slim profit margins, if profit at all, right. Many of those like Amazon was what, like not even making a profit until I think like a few years ago, which is crazy, but it's like the largest company on earth. So it all depends on your priorities. So yes, if you're a solopreneur and you're building a lifestyle business and you're like, I just want my business to pay my bills and give me free spending money. Cool. That is such an awesome goal. And yes, in your case, maximizing profit makes total sense to meet your goals. But if you're someone who's like, I want to build a you know, a 100 person company and be a big time CEO and do, you know, all these crazy things in this world, sometimes an 80% margin is just not going to be realistic for you to actually achieve those goals. So I, I think the key here is that always look at financial advice through the lens of context. Everyone's goals are valuable. It does not matter what your goal is. If your goal is to replace your full-time job salary and that is what fulfills you and makes you happy. That is just as valuable of a goal as someone who's like, I want to build a billion dollar company. I think both are possible for us as women, but you have to be really clear on what your goals are and then make sure that the financial decisions you make reflect those goals. And you can only do that if you step up to the plate and you really understand your numbers. Hold up. I have to tell you about my new What the Fab presets. I finally launched digital product and let me tell you, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be, but I am so excited that they're live. They're available. You can shop them on the website. You can just go to whatthefab.com slash presets to see them in all their freaking glory. (laughs) These presets are something that I have been refining and tweaking over the years. And after almost a decade of being a travel blogger and lifestyle blogger, 
sure I'm finally making them available to you to purchase and to use on your own photos. So whether you are a full-time content creator or this is your side hustle or you just want beautiful aesthetic photos for your feed, I'd love for you to check them out. Presets are honestly a game changer. Using Lightroom presets has really optimized how I'm able to edit my photos. It makes everything cohesive and beautiful and branded so that when you see one of my pictures on Instagram or Pinterest, you know that it's coming from what the fab. And you can have that kind of brand cohesiveness too by using the presets and tweaking them for your own skin tone and style. They also have saved me hours upon hours of editing photos. I mean, it used to take me half a day to go through you know, hundreds of photos from a shoot. Now I can just do it within one or two clicks. And then if I'm using desktop, batch sync it across all of the photos. It's amazing. Like I said, game changer. And these presets are, they're light and airy and will make your photos look beautiful, whether you're shooting on an iPhone or in the raw on DSLR. I've got the mobile pack. I've got the desktop pack. So there's something for everyone. If you want to edit just on the go, the mobile pack is a great option and you can use Lightroom mobile. The app is free. So that's a really great option for someone who's doing this as a side hustle or a beginner. And then if you are building a brand and um, maybe this is your full-time thing you'll probably want both the mobile and the desktop versions because then you'll be able to edit on the go on the app but then also really like sit down in front of your computer do that batch editing I was talking about and just have that really cohesive vibe across all of your photos so I hope you'll check them out and I'm so excited I have a little gift for you. So you can get one of my mobile presets for free. Just go to whatthefab.com slash free and you can get my World Traveler mobile preset for free and you can use it on the Adobe Lightroom app on your phone. And the World Traveler preset, I've used it on every type of photo imaginable. It's light and airy and beautiful and just makes you look glowy. I've used it on selfies, date night pics, home decor, food, um, my friends, kids, and of course, my jet setting travel pics. So I know that you will love it. Again, go to whatthefab.com free to grab that free preset for yourself. Enjoy it. Love it. Use it. I can't wait to see what kinds of photos you create with it and be sure to use hashtag WTFab presets so I can see and share on my stories. All right, let's get back to the episode. Such great advice. And I really appreciated the point that you made about how the numbers are not, you know, out to get you. The numbers <laughs> are the numbers and it's us. Like we are the ones that place the meaning and attach the meaning to them. And it made me think about like, it's also all relative too. like, you know, it, it can be easy to like compare yourself to other entrepreneurs. It can also be easy to kind of move the, the milestone or your own personal marker for like, what is quote successful or not. And it made me think about how, when I left Google, you know, I was so scared. I was like, Oh my God, I'm kissing goodbye that cushy salary. And I was like, if I can get my blog to a place where I make a hundred K in a year, I will be happy. You know, I'll be happy when like, I will be satisfied. I will be all good because I will be doing what I love and it will be enough to sustain myself and, you know, my lifestyle fine. It, but my business has grown so much since that point three years ago, that if I 
made hundred K this year, I would feel disappointed in myself because I have surpassed that bar, which, you know, if, if you've listened to my income report episode, like I have tripled that amount. And now that is my bar for what is successful. And as I'm getting ready to record my next, um, Q1 income report, I was kind of looking at the numbers and I was like, Oh, I didn't make as much in, in Q1 of this year as I did last year. And at first I felt like embarrassed and I was like, Oh no, like, how am I going to tell people that? Like, because I, in my mind, it was like, it it has to grow, grow, grow. And that's not sustainable. It's just not going to happen like that. And so then I was like, okay, well, let's, let's dig into it. Like, what are some lessons from this first quarter? And, oh, you know what, this other revenue stream that was really small in Q1, it actually in Q1 of 2021, it's actually grown a lot. And I put a lot of time and effort into that. Um, but that does mean that one of my other revenue streams, like went down in revenue a little. So it's just like, like exactly what you were saying, it's all the meaning and emotion that we attach to it. And so kind of taking a step back, um, and thinking about that, I think is really helpful. And you kind of touched on this a little bit when you were talking about profit margins, but, um, could you speak to a little bit more about why a business might choose to have a season of lower profit to actually grow? I know you kind of hinted at this on Instagram in a post recently, and I thought it was an interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. So like Elise mentioned, you know, if you are in this entrepreneurship journey, and I know I I say this sounding like, oh, I've got it all figured out. Trust me. I don't. I, I very much have those days where I'm like very in my emotions and same as Elise, where I'm like, oh my gosh, like we've actually, you know, decreased in revenue. Like that, that comes with, you know, being very public about your finances is that you have that vulnerability where it's like, yeah, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. It's not always a straight upward arrow. There are dips, right? It's, it comes naturally. And so I'm saying really this for you as much as for myself, I just want you to know that like I'm with you. Um, sometimes when you have a big goal that you're working towards, it's not something that can happen in a neatly tied up 30 day, 90 day window, right? Like Elise mentioned, sometimes a revenue stream, especially if it's new to your business, it may take a year or longer to grow. And so you're not going to see all the returns of the effort and the time that you're pouring into something until much further down the road. So if you're looking at everything through a month by month lens only, you're always going to end up disappointed because you're going to say, oh, like it's not reflecting, like the work that I'm putting in is not reflecting in the results that I'm getting out. But you may surprise yourself when you look back 12 months later or 18 months out or even 24 months out and realize, oh, wow, that really did pay off. It just took a long time for me to see it. And so keep in mind that even though you should track your numbers monthly, sometimes it's healthy not to base, um, not to be so reactive in your decisions just based on month to month numbers, right? You need to also look a little further out to see patterns. I look for patterns. That's why I actually stopped doing monthly income reports and switched to quarterly because I think a 90 day run rate gives you a little better window into like what's happening. But even so 90 days guys in the span of a lifetime as an entrepreneur is really nothing. I mean, it's, it's nothing, right. If you're planning to be in business for the long haul. So just keep that in mind too, but sorry, going back to the original question. Um, 
one, an example of a time that you may lower your profit margins for growth is let's say you're in a season of hiring. Let's say for example, that, um, you, you are okay. Let me just use my own company as an example. Like we right now, the majority of our revenue comes from our online programs through our courses and through our, my year long mentorship program. We've served over 10,000 students over the last couple of years. Right. So that's the bulk of our revenue. But when I look out into my company, five, 10 years down the road, I really want to be seen as the number one digital media platform for female entrepreneurs and female founders. And so to get there, that is a complete pivot from the current business model that we're operating under to be a media company. Content becomes your end product. Whereas right now content is our marketing vehicle that leads us to the end product, which is the actual like paid program or whatnot. Right. So to switch that kind of business model, you need to hire a different skill set. You need to hire content writers. You need to hire people who understand content from a strategy perspective, right? You may need to invest in influencer marketing to bring more visibility to the content that you're producing. You may need to pour into ads. You may need to pour into you know, restructuring the organization of your company, which may require hiring an HR consultant or hiring a CFO to look at how you, how you position your cash. There's so many different factors involved. All of those things, if you were to invest in right now may bring your monthly profits down significantly, or even perhaps to a break even point, or perhaps even in the red. I mean, all of those things could happen. Now, if that happens, does that mean automatically that you're a failure and that you, you know, have not succeeded in what you're trying to build? Of course not. Right. Some of those things are going to take years before you look back and see, Oh, like that hire I made 24 months ago, all of that back and work that they've been doing and, you know, maybe fixing up our sites, SEO or producing all this content, it's now finally paid off and maybe landing a six figure advertising sponsorship. You don't know that could happen, but it, it could take a while. And so that's what I mean by your profit margins are not always a direct reflection of your success or your growth. It really is more a reflection of what you're prioritizing in your business at that moment. Such a great example. Thank you for, for sharing that. You kind of touched on hiring and um, scaling your team. And I, I would love to ask you, this is just like a question I selfishly want to know because I'm like, (laughs) how does Ellen do it? Like, do you ever feel suffocated is not the right word, but it is coming to mind. Like, do you ever feel a lot of pressure because of the fact that you have employees and you're responsible for their salaries and like you're dealing with, I mean, again, it's all relative, but to me, it's like, you're dealing with like high, like revenue numbers and dealing with high expenses. Does that ever feel like a lot of pressure to you? Or are you kind of used to it by now? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. It feels like pressure. Um, I, I think that's one kind of ironic thing about being an entrepreneur and this may just be my experience. So perhaps if you're listening, this is not your experience, but, uh, I know a lot of people feel imposter syndrome starting out. I actually didn't feel imposter syndrome starting out. I find that my imposter syndrome grows as I become more successful. (laughs) So I know that's like super ironic, but it's, it's truly my experience because I think the way I describe it is like, when you're starting out your perception of what's possible for you, like what Lisa said, right? Like when she quit Google, she was like, if I could just make a hundred thousand dollars, 
oh my God, like I've made it. I've made it. There's nothing more. What else could I possibly be reaching for? Right. But then she hit that marker and she evolved as a person and her business evolved. And she realized, wait a second, I've just been looking at my little corner of my neighborhood, but there's a whole world out there. My God, there's more streets. There's more cities. I could fly across the ocean, right? Like there's things that you just, your awareness and your perception doesn't know about until you've gotten to that point in the journey. And so I think I find that happening to me all the time. Like as I continue to level up, I start to meet more people or be exposed to more things that I didn't even know were a reality. And then I realize, oh my gosh, I know nothing. It's like being constantly being humbled and being taken back to ground zero and being like, I know nothing. I need to keep learning. I need to keep learning. And so yes, I absolutely feel that pressure and that responsibility. And I don't think it really ever goes away. I mean, if you're someone who cares about the people that you work with inevitably, right, you're going to feel some level of, of responsibility there. Oh my gosh, Ellen. I literally just got chills. Like if you were here, you could see the goosebumps on my arms because I, when you were saying that I realized, oh shit, that's exactly right. I have, I completely resonate with that. And like, of course I had feelings of imposter syndrome. Like when I was leaving Google and kind of feeling like, can I really do this? I don't know. But I just kind of like dove into it and it ended up like I was, you know, busy and it was happening and I was doing it. And this past year, I think I probably have had more imposter syndrome, more of those feelings of self-doubt than I did when I first started like leaning into this full time because I've been doing a lot of different things that I've never done before, like launching the presets and now working on the SEO course and, um, you know, just scaling my revenue. And I kind of have been having, sometimes I'll just have this sort of like, it's almost like a cloud over my head of like a sense of impending doom of like, (laughs) okay, you, you did it last year, but like, it's a house of cards and it's all going to come falling down. Like the, the pressure (laughs) just kind of mounts. Um, Oh, I, I really, um, appreciate the perspective that you put on that. And then do you have any, like, how do you deal with your imposter syndrome? Oh, I mean, it's, it's a journey, right? It's, I don't think, I don't think the goal should be to solve imposter syndrome. I think actually in some ways, imposter syndrome is helpful to you only because it forces you to continue to be curious. Um, I curiosity is just such a core value of mine. And I think that the moment you completely lose imposter syndrome is this point where you have let your ego overtake your curiosity, right? Where you think I know everything there is to know. So what could I possibly feel insecure about? And I think, um, that's like a dangerous place to be in because as business owners and for businesses themselves to be, successful, you need to constantly evolve as the world is evolving. And so that's, that's one thing I'll say there. So with that in mind, I think what helps me is to remember what I have already done and to remember, to feed my brain proof that the work that I do matters, like to remind myself of the impact and for me, sometimes that means like looking back at screenshots of like what students have sent me of, of what they have done in their lives as a result of being part of our community. Sometimes that means, you know, that's one perk actually of documenting your uh, finances is that you can go back. It's kind of like for lack of a better analogy, I know this is not like the best analogy, but like, um, when keeping up the Kardashians was ending the first time, I know they're coming back, but like, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm such a reality TV junkie. And I, rem- I can't remember if it was like Chloe or Kim who said this, but they were like, you know, the best part of like being on TV for the past decade is like, you have the best home videos. It's like your whole life has been documented for you and you can go back and like relive memories that you've forgotten or that you would have otherwise forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I think the same can be said for documenting, you know, my finance journey is that I can go back and listen to who I was in 2019 and hear the thoughts that I was having, the fears that I was having and realize, Oh, wait a second. Like all those things that I was afraid of didn't actually come true or even something better than I could have imagined happened. And it reminds me of how far I've come. Like when I go back and look at journal entries, um, like February, 2019, right. Was such a big month for me because I, that was my very first $20,000 month. And I remember, recalculating it over and over and over again, being like, no, this is not real. I didn't actually do this. And like, I kept double checking my math. Cause I was like, so in shock that that actually happened. And it's so funny because, you know, these days, if we had a $20,000 month, I'd be a little bit panicking. Cause I like our expenses per month are more than that. And so just to break, even in the business, we, we would have to make more than 20,000 a month. And so it's funny how much your perspective can shift. Like what was once the, the end of the rainbow for me is now like, you know, Oh, like a red flag almost. And so, um, it's, it's helpful. I think to look back on how far you've come and to remind yourself that like your brain needs evidence that you have already had success and that you have already made a difference in people's lives. And to constantly remind yourself of that is so important. So, so good. I do something similar. I call it my hype files folder yes. and I have just like <laughs> screenshots in there of like, if somebody DMs me and they're like, I love this episode. It helped me negotiate a higher rate with a brand or, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Like if I'm ever feeling that self-doubt creeping in, I just like open up my hype files and <laughs> scroll through it. So I love that tip. Okay. Well, as we start to wrap things up, I do want to have you share a little bit more about your paid to create challenge, because I know that you have another round coming up and then, um, yeah, so I'd love to have you share what that is. And then I'm going to chime in with how it's helped me and why I think it's such a great program. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, so paid to create, um, oh my goodness, guys, I love this program so much because it's not really a program. It's an experience. Uh, And I'll tell you why it's a three day live, like 100% live challenge with a pop-up community. It's a time contained experience. So it actually forces you to take action, which I think is really key to creating any sort of success, right? I think most of us will procrastinate until the cows come home if we can. And this challenge, if you sign up, it forces you to be accountable because if you don't take action, all of the content and the community disappears in one week. So it's like, you're either doing it or you're not. And I think that's what uh, creates so much of the magic that we see happen in this challenge. So April is actually going to be our fifth live cohort, which I'm so excited about. We kick off April 18th and the doors open for enrollment for this upcoming round. I think April, I want to say it's April 7th. Hopefully if, if you go to the website, <laughs> that is correct. It's sometime around then. And it's a $55 challenge, right? We wanted to keep it so accessible, but basically we help you turn the idea that you have in your head for a course or the existing knowledge and skill sets that you already possess. So even if you don't have an idea for a course solidified, that's okay. Just as long as you have an existing skill or knowledge that you, you know, find yourself constantly answering questions about, we can help you turn that into a 
profitable course that you can actually enroll your first paying students for in just three days before, and this is the key fact, before you even create a single piece of lesson content. So we follow what we call a pre-sell beta method, which basically means that we help you in three days time, uh, outline, build and pre-sell your online course to beta students so that you actually get to teach the content live to your beta students. And actually through that cash injection that you receive from your founding and students, you're being paid to create your course in real time, receive that valuable feedback, those valuable testimonials for when you launch it to the public at a higher price. And you actually get paid to validate your course ideas. So instead of investing months and potentially hundreds or even thousands of dollars into building this amazing course and then putting it out there and advising, wait a second, like it's not selling, which is a terrible place to be in. We're actually eliminating all of that risk for you up front and helping you build that minimum viable product to immediately get paying students in one week's time. So if that's of interest to you, if you want to learn how to create your own digital asset, and I call it an asset because it is truly something that you create once and you can sell over and over and over again and really control that income, then I, I would love to have you in our next challenge. What is the URL that people can head to, to check it out? And we'll also link it in the show notes. Yeah. You can go to ellenyin.com. So that's E L L E N Y I N.com slash paid to create. So P A I D to create. Amazing. Yes. So I want to share my experience with paid to create because I mean, like I mentioned earlier um, in our conversation, this past year has been like a year of growth for me and trying things that I have never done before. And so towards the beginning of 2021, um, I hopped into Ellen's paid to create challenge. And this was before I even really knew like what digital product I was going to create or sell. I wasn't really sure. I'm like, what's a webinar funnel? Like I really was brand, brand new to this stuff. And so I was joining mostly just to kind of like, like expand my mind and like, like you were saying, like, see what's possible. And like, I thought that the concept was really interesting. And then most of the year kind of passed. I didn't necessarily like implement it right away. But then once I decided towards the end of the year, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this SEO course. Like I've, I've been talking with people about it. There's a definite interest in it. I feel like most fashion travel lifestyle bloggers like really don't understand how to leverage the power of SEO. And like, that is my target audience. And I was chatting with Ellen about it at our mastermind retreat. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to like, just make it and like record it and put it out there. And she was like, no, you need to like follow the paid to create method. Like you need to pre-sell it, have, you know, a group of beta students. And at first I was like kind of resistant to it. Cause I was like, it just sounds like a lot of work and like, I'm scared. I don't know. But I was like, you know what, this makes sense. Like, let's, let me go ahead and do that. And honestly, I didn't even promote it across all of my channels. Like this, this beta, I shared it with a few bloggers that I know personally that I thought might be interested. I didn't blast it out on my email. I didn't blast it out on Instagram. Um, so I shared it like personally with a few people as an invitation. And then I posted in like a, a fashion blogger, Facebook group that I'm, that people are pretty active in. And I was able to get a group of beta students that signed up 
paid me for it. And we were off to the races at the beginning of the year. And what was really amazing was, well, not only like, did I make over $3,000 from that and get that quick cash injection, but it also really held me accountable. And I was not able to procrastinate. I think that if I was trying to create this course without having any kind of like, you know, we had, we were doing these sessions weekly. So every Thursday I knew that we were meeting and, you know, I would be recording the next session, which in the future is going to get chopped up into like all the modules. And so because I had these like strict deadlines for myself and people had paid me, they were counting on me to teach them SEO for their business. I was showing up like ready to go with the content every week. And if I was just kind of doing it by myself, it, I definitely, I mean, I recorded it in, I think five or six sessions. So like barely over a month of weekly sessions. And obviously there's a lot of prep and practice and outlining and scripting and the deck that goes into that in between, but having that like cadence was just amazing. Um, and now it's like, I just am, you know, cleaning up the audio and the video and, and starting to think about the marketing of the launch. And so it definitely, I mean, the way that you teach this method is like, so, so brilliant. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It just gives me goosebumps to hear your experience because I think that is what is so surprising to people is that creating an online course does not have to be this ginormous, scary, impossible thing to do. It really can be simple. And I think that's really my goal in everything that I do as an educator is to simplify, simplify, simplify. I think that is like clarity and simplicity are the two top two words I hear over and over and over again from people who participate in paid to create, even some people who end up not creating an online course, the clarity they get for their business as a whole is through the roof. And so I think for that piece alone, it is just such a great container to be in, to be amongst, you know, 100 to 300 people who are doing the exact same thing as you at the exact same time as you and follow a step-by-step framework that forces you like, uh, like Elise said, to show up and be accountable, um, to, to achieving this in a certain amount of time. So yeah, like Elise said, we would love to have you if, if you're interested, if you have even an inkling, like, Hey, maybe this is the year that I create my own product, especially if you're a blogger or influencer and you depend on brand partnerships right now. I know Elise is a big advocate for having your own products as well, then this, this would be a great first step for you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like all the conversations that I'm having with my blogger friends, like Instagram is just getting so frustrating. It's so bloated. It's like they're, you know, okay. So like reels, we have to do video now. And then now they're launching like the whole shopping feature and affiliate programs. And it's just like, it's too much. And with the algorithm continuing to just put, push our reach lower and lower, like it absolutely is the right time to be thinking about your website and your email newsletter, which you own, and then what other digital product offerings can you create? Because if you're thinking about the future and and scaling, you know, five years from now, like, are you still going to be focused on Instagram? God, I hope not. Cause I'm so <laughs> sick of Instagram. So yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like creating a course doesn't have to be this like 
lengthy, scary, horribly taxing thing. Like truly when I, after I looked up after a month and a half of doing this beta with the, with my beta students, I looked up and I was like, oh my gosh, like it's done. I recorded it. Like that is amazing and felt so good. And so now it's really just thinking about the strategy for the launch and like, you know, which platform I want it to be on and, and the marketing and the launch is also like, you know, a really fun aspect of it. So excited for that. I'm aiming to launch the, the SEO course in the spring. So stay tuned for that. Um, if you are interested, you can add your name to the waitlist at whatthefab.com slash waitlist, and you'll get a, you'll get a note when that finally launches. But yes, if you are even thinking about how you can create a different, um, revenue stream in your business through some sort of digital product offering course, um, Ellen's paid to create challenge, I would absolutely recommend. Clearly it like changed the game for me. Um, and it's such a, an accessible price point. I mean, it's like a no brainer. So definitely check that out. Um, Ellen, this was so much fun. I want to end on just a fun question. So I know that Disneyland is your happy place and you've been like over 10 times. You try to go once a year. What is your favorite ride at Disneyland? Oh, okay. I, I will say I, there's so many rides that I love for different reasons, but the one that I know I will always be excited to go on is space mountain. It's just this, you know, it's just a zippy roller coaster in the dark. It's so much fun. It's truly a great throw ride. So I'd have to go space mountain. That's a good one. And after they redid it, I feel like it's even like zippier. It's like, whoa, like hold, hold on to your hats people. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah, I know. I, I love it so much. Although I will say this time I just went in um, March with my sisters and my fiance. Cause he hadn't been in like over a decade and we went to galaxy's edge, the new, you know, or I don't park the part of the park, I guess that they opened in the last like two years and rise of the resistance, their star Wars ride there. Holy crap. It is so cool. Like just from like a engineering aspect, the way that they structured the ride, it's such an immersive experience. You literally feel like you're in the set, like in the movie. Um, it is such a cool ride. So I I would highly recommend that one too. So fun. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. I feel like this is so weird because I'm not even like a huge, like I love, I love Disney. I love Disneyland. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like this over the top fan, but during the pandemic, one thing that made me really sad was thinking about the fact that I couldn't go to Disneyland. (laughs) I don't know why. No, I get it. I mean, I think it's just an escape, right? It's just this place where you don't feel like you're in the real world. The, oh my God, I can't talk the real world. Like you just feel like you get to escape into this imaginative place where time stops for a moment. And I think that's what is so amazing about Disney. Cause I, I mean, I love Disneyland, but I'm, I'm also not that like, oh, I wear like all Disney stuff. And I talk about <laughs> Disney every single day of my life. Like I'm not that type of fan, but I think, um, what I just think Disney has nailed is their ability to tap into people's nostalgia. And I think that's why people have such a great experience there because it really feels like it takes you back to like this timeless moment. That is so true. Yes. Well, Ellen, I loved our chat today. You shared so many just like great nuggets. I had so much fun just shooting, shooting the, you know what with you. So if you could please let everyone know where they can find you, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this conversation. Elise, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I can't wait to have you on my show. 
If you want to hang out on my podcast, I release new episodes every Monday. So just search cubicle to CEO, wherever you're listening to Elisa's podcast right now and hit subscribe. And we release episodes with really inspiring female founders and entrepreneurs. And we dive into one specific case study every single week so that you can really walk away with some tangible strategies to apply to your own business. And then on social media, I am most active on Instagram. So you can find me at Miss Ellen Yin. Feel free to send me a DM and let me know what you took away from my conversation with Elise today. Amazing. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you. What a great conversation with Ellen. I mean, she is just so smart. And when she starts rattling off tips and lessons learned and advice around social media marketing and running a profitable business, I am just like, I'm always blown away. And like I said earlier, I'm constantly am learning things from her. And so I just really appreciate her taking the time to come on the show and share her expertise with us. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love, love, love it if you could take a second to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's what helps me grow the show. And like I said, I appreciate you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit subscribe because we are coming out with these episodes weekly. I have my Q1 income report coming out soon and you won't want to miss that. Until then, I will chat with you next week. Music.